one of the biggest things is good expectations from the beginning. One of the biggest failures I made as an entrepreneur is you hire these people. If you get in the right people, right seats, just have good, clear expectations and understanding on both sides of the equation and have quarterly reviews so that those are revisited on an ongoing basis. Don't let things fester. Just like in a marriage or any other relationship, let <laughs> things fester, they blow up. Welcome to Fascinating Entrepreneurs. How do people end up becoming an entrepreneur? How do they scale and grow their businesses? How do they plan for profit? Are they in it for life or are they building to exit? These and a myriad of other topics will be discussed to pull back the veil on the wizardry of successful and fascinating entrepreneurs. Hey, can you do me a favor? While you're listening to this podcast, can you open a web browser and type in officialnatashamiller.com? Yes, this is my brand new website that I built for you. Entrepreneurs that want to scale and grow their businesses. It's packed full of information, articles, blog posts, podcasts, and also you can download the free Profit Finder Guide that helps you find more profit in your current business. You can get on the wait list for my digital course and be the first to know when my book, Relentless, is up for presale. Brad Stevens is a lifetime entrepreneur, having built multiple domestic and international businesses. He is currently the founder and CEO of Outsource Access, an offshore virtual services firm. He has grown to 360 employees in just over two years. We talk about the incredible benefits of working with outsourced talent, if he's building to sell, and how he uses his speaking engagements to spread the word about working smarter by hiring talent from other countries. Now let's get right into it. The tagline for our company for Outsource Access is redefining how you scale and came up with that because that's what it did for me as an entrepreneur, you know, myself. I mean, I ended up starting this company based on my own personal experience when I had a company we manufactured and distributed teeth whitening products and had a product disaster happen on us where we basically ended up sending in thousands of failing products all over the world. And cash got super tight and I had to figure out a way to make a dollar stretch and how to do things differently. And so that was kind of my COVID experience back 10 years ago. And so I became a student of it, learned it, figured out what is it, how does it work? Everybody read Tim Ferriss' four-hour work week 10 years ago, right? This, and that's kind of everybody's reference point. So beyond that, like, how can I make this a fundamental part of sort of, you know, what we do from a business standpoint? And so the benefits that I ended up embracing from that is, is that it gives you access to talent all over the world, right? And it doesn't have any borders to it. I mean, there are people that we've found in, when I first started doing this all over the world. And then obviously there's a substantial cost difference. The U.S. is the first world country. I mean, our currency is very strong, but you have a lot of super talented, intelligent people in other countries and other parts of the world that our currency is strong. And so, you know, we can pay relatively lower rates on our side, but it's really, really good rates on their side. So it's kind of a win-win on both sides of the equation. So you can get just an amazing collection of talent from all different places of the world. You can get it on a very affordable type of basis. And really the other key thing, particularly for entrepreneurs, is we all know the cliche of just trying to wear 400 hats, being in the business versus working on the business, right? All the entrepreneur cliches that everybody falls into, they're real, right? They're real for a reason. And so it empowers people to get out of the things that aren't the highest and best use of their time. And particularly for beginning entrepreneurs that are starting up, it's about closing deals and being the front and the face of the business. They need to be out closing more deals. And so the opportunity cost of them not doing that is very, very high. 
Mm-hmm. And so getting resources that can get things off their plate, very cost effective rate. And then that goes for all the existing employees as well. A lot of people have seventy, eighty thousand dollar employees that are directors of marketing that are still futzing around with the CRM system or managing their own LinkedIn accounts, which isn't the best use of their time. So it's it's about getting people to their highest and best use of time. And just, you know, one last thing as a byproduct of that, ironically, is the culture impact it has in a company. We've seen when companies start embracing this and they equip their team with outsourced resources to get the stuff off their plate that they don't like doing, they actually like their job a lot more. Mm-hmm. You know, they want to wake up and their feet hit the ground every day. Oh, I get to, to go in and do the thing I love doing, you know, not TPS reports. So those are just a collection of benefits that I've seen. And in times like COVID, when you learn how to leverage this world, I, I joke around, I'd be a ton of speaking on this and I talk about it. It's like having like a magic toolbox. Like it's literally about having a knowledge and it's a combination of creativity and knowing how to leverage these resources appropriately, but you can get a new company launched in two weeks for less than $500. So it kind of makes you a little bit recession proof to defend against any challenges. I think a lot of people think about outsourcing work as far as like virtual assistants, but what kind of tasks and what kind of skills do the people in your organization have? So specifically, in, in our company, I mean, sort of when I decided to launch our own operations, I've been outsourcing for a number of years and using other platforms out there, the gig economy platforms, like your Fivers and your Upworks and that kind of thing. And so we launched ours. I kind of tried to fill what I saw was sort of the gaps that were not being kind of met out there. And so what I found from my own experience is there's two different buckets. There's specialized skill stuff, which is kind of one-off projects. Like, hey, I need this video done. I need a whiteboard animation video done. Hey, we got this amazing raw footage. I need testimonial videos done. I need a reworked corporate brochure. I need a data scrape list. I need a website overhaul. Those are one-off specialized skill things. And then the other bucket is kind of where you have like a true virtual staff employee that plugs into your business and works side by side, like a staff kind of with you. And so when I first started outsourcing, a lot of what I did was initially was all this gig economy, like one-off type project stuff. And at some point I was like, you know, I just want somebody that I can have work side by side with me as kind of a virtual team member that can take on a collection of what I call administrative, operational and marketing clutter, right? It's stuff that needs to get done that falls in two buckets, either A, it's not the best use of my time or B, it's things that I'm not getting to due to time, money or knowledge constraints. The Philippines is kind of where I ended up choosing to get a VA because you don't have the culture gaps there. I mean, the U.S. controlled it up until 1950, so... English is their second language, American education system. So you don't have the culture gap if you're going to have somebody that's going to work side by side as a staff with you, not somebody that's just going to do a one-off logo and be gone tomorrow. And so I kind of look at it as those two type of buckets. And so the virtual staff, virtual employee, it ends up being a whole collection of things. Every small to medium business, when I say administrative operational clutter, like most people immediately have something that pops in their head that's unique to their business, right? Whether it's doing CRM management, whether it's doing customer support chat, whether it's generating CRM data hygiene, whether it's doing LinkedIn outreach. And so in our model, I chose to focus on hiring people because we hire them as full-time employees in the Philippines. We hire people that are fast learners good communicators and can take feedback because most of the stuff under the roof of a small to medium business isn't rocket science. It's just a set of systems and processes, even doing QuickBooks. QuickBooks isn't rocket science. It's just a set of systems and processes. So if we can bring someone to the table that can learn quickly, take a you know, be a good communicator and take feedback, they can step in and absorb a collection of things inside of a business. And then as you need those one-off projects, right, then you kind of have those as additional resources you tap into as needed. So like in our business, 
we have over 200 specialized people as part of our specialized talent division. So when person hires a virtual staff with us, they plug in, but all of a sudden, three months from now, they need a corporate brochure overhauled. Well, they didn't need that in the skill set of their VA because it's not something they're doing every day. So they'll just tap one of our graphic designers and we'll just bring that into the mix to get that executed. So it's kind of having a blend of a VA plus the specialized talent. So I have questions about hiring people from the Philippines that I'm really curious about. Mm -hmm. One is I have two VAs from the Philippines and they're amazing. First of all, you know, the world of all, I personally, and this is my own thing that I need to get over. I can't imagine asking them to work on my time because I feel that it's horrific for their health and their body. I don't know where that comes from, but maybe it's from my own personal desire (laughs) to not work throughout the night. How do you approach that? Yeah. So I had the same concern when I first started, you know, in the Philippines relative, I mean, I'm in Atlanta here, Eastern standard time. So it's exactly 12 hours. So exactly on the other side of the globe. And so when I first started with my very first VAs, I'm a huge fan of a tool called Screencast-O-Matic. If you guys heard me speak, I'm fanatical about it. That and Loom, which I'm sure you probably use those tools. Also asynchronous communication, right? And frankly, it's even better because instead of us trying, me trying to hop on a live call with a VA and do a Zoom call and do screen sharing or do Skype sharing or what have you, I just click a button, record my screen, my voice and my mouse, hit a button and it generates a link and I send them the video. So if I've got this harebrained idea at 10 o'clock at night, I'd like for the VA to kind of research or explore or what have you. I do a screencast recording, send it to her and she can watch it and watch it multiple times, but she can also kind of do it on her own time as well. So what I find in my own initial experience is that we ended up working kind of hybrid hours a little bit initially. So like my personal VA, so funny enough, my very first VA, 23 year old young woman to the testament of like hiring people that aren't experienced, but just are fast learners, hired her as 23, had never been a VA in her life. Didn't have any experience in the software that, that we, I was running at the time, but she just showed this incredible passion to learn and expand and grow. And Natasha, crazy enough, like four years later, she's my chief operating officer for 370 employees, right? The ability to raise the lid and the competency has been incredible. But so we started working together initially. And so I'd always been a fan of doing screencasting. And we were more, she was more kind of on my hour. So we were between until like 11, 10 or 11 a.m., which is like 10 or 11 p.m. their time. We'd be on the same time zone. And then she'd go to sleep. I'd finish working the rest of the day. And then while I'm sleeping, you know, she's getting kind of work done. So interestingly, most of our clients, when we do the discovery session with them, if they're in a situation where they absolutely need someone to work their local hours because they're doing direct customer service support or what have you, there's people that actually enjoy working kind of the night shift, right? For whatever their life situation is, most of them are single and don't have families, (laughs) They don't mind it. But we also tell clients, look, this will not be sustainable long term, right? There will be a life event that will happen with this individual that they will want to shift and not do this kind of longer term. But maybe it's a fit for their life right now. But I would say a very small fraction, less than 10% end up needing that. But when we do, when we put the job post out, we make it very clear this is what this person's looking for. So people only raising their hand that want to work those hours. I'd say the vast majority are kind of that hybrid hour situation where it's kind of they're working a little bit on their time, a little bit on their hours. And then we have some that truly are completely on their own local time zone. Yep. And they just like my personal VA, funny enough. So now since JCL, my initial VA who's now running my company, I had to get my own VA now. My new VA is Cass. Cassandra, she and I have never had a live conversation in a year and a half. <laughs> we do nothing but communicate through screencast recording and just chat between 8 and 10 a.m. And then she goes to sleep. And so it yes. lets them keep their own cycle. That's great to know. You know, I had no idea that that's how you run your business and how you allow your employees to work. And so 
Thank you for that. And also sure. another thing I'm curious about, and I have Googled it, but I would love to hear from you since this is your business, is what is a living wage in the Philippines? And what is low cost? Because those things are very up in the air. So I felt kind of guilty at first for paying such a, like it was astonishing to me how low of a fee to pay for these people. I did my research to make sure that we're not gouging them, but I want to hear from you what a living wage hourly is or however it is that you can speak to that. Yeah. And it, and it honestly drove a lot of why I chose to base my company where I chose to base it in the Southern part of the Philippines. So when I decided to launch an operation over there, I went and visited with my very first VA JSL and then a couple of other people we had hired that were basically, before I launched my own outsourcing operation, I just did a lot of consulting and speaking and stuff. And they were part of my team that helped me kind of do the speaking engagements and what have you. But then they became my base management team. We decided to launch our own outsourcing operation. So when I decided to do that, flew over there, visited 20 facilities. And Manila is what most people are familiar with, with the capital at the northern part of the country. And I had a guy that gave me, who had been experienced in doing this for years. And over the course of five days, we went and visited 20 facilities across Manila, Makati, Clark, which are all in the northern part. And I would go into a lot of these outsourcing operations that they had relationships with. And they'd let me go in. They'd let me you know, talk to their staff as I'm kind of just getting a feel for it. They kind of had an open door. And I'd sit down with some of them. And some of these people were, because it was Manila and the higher cost of living in the city, they would have to live a couple of hours outside of the city. So these people would get up at sometimes three or four in the morning, get up, get their children with, if they had kids, right, getting food ready for them for the day, and then get on what's called a trike, which is a side-by-side -side motorcycle thing to go part of their way in or walk part of the way, then get on a trike with someone they would pay to take part of the way. Then there's this unique vehicle in the Philippines called the jeepney. It basically looks like a long squished like school bus, right, that they then take that's open air. And then they'd have to walk the last piece of it. So sometimes they'd spend two hours getting into work and another two hours getting out because cost of living was too much, you know, kind of in the city. So my original VAJ sells actually from the southern part of the Philippines in an area down called Cagayan de Oro. You got Davao, Cebu, some other kind of areas down there where it's not as dense, not as, as high a cost of living. And furthermore, we chose to let everybody work virtually from home. So they didn't have to do the transportation. They could kind of work from home in the process. So Across the Philippines, your minimum wage is like $1.20 US per hour. So if you compare that kind of what the minimum wage is here in the US, right, we know what kind of lifestyle that can offer. So first starting, I mean, depending on what part of the country that they're living in and where they are, if they're in the outer skirts and in some of the provinces and so forth, I mean, making 3 or $4 an hour is a tremendous, tremendous income. I mean, it's and like that's really hard to understand, yeah. right? It's hard to understand. And I will say, you don't know this about me, but I'm a quarter Filipino. My hmm. family's from Manila and Legaspi City. I don't oh, really? know. Yeah, I don't know any of my extended relatives yet. I haven't been able to find them. But, you know, it's just really hard to wrap your head around. So thank you for saying it loud. It matches what the research that I've done on Google is and makes me feel better about outsourcing. And my two VAs are incredibly thankful for the kind of work they get to do with me. And I think it is a little bit of a novelty to be working for an American company. And mm -hmm. I have never had more energetic, engaged people. So I'm all for it. Thank you for talking about that. And just one other point on that. Yeah. And that's a hundred percent about it as well is it's and I teach people when they're going to outsource, if they don't go with us, they, just, they whatever path they go with outsourcing is to pour in and treat these people like individuals, right? Because for two reasons. One is a lot of kind of 
Westerners that work with outsourced resources in India or otherwise, they just treat people like robots sometimes. I and mean, that's a general statement that tends to be the case. But also within the country, within the Philippines and otherwise, if they're working and they have a Filipino manager, it's a very dictatorial type of management right. style, right? So it's kind of like, especially in the call centers, it's like, hey, make your 100 calls, hit your stats or you're out, right? And they work in this tiny little cube and they you know, two hour commute back and forth. So by showing them appreciation, right? And I still write a personal welcome message to every single frontline VA that comes on. I tell them how much I care about them, their families are committed to their personal growth, asking their favorite books. I share my favorite books back and forth with them. And then part of EO, which we're both kind of connected with, had a relationship with the United Nations. And so a big commitment to the sustainable development goals. And so I actually took that full tilt and we brought in a consultant and we fully implemented alignment to the sustainable development goals in our company. So we have our VAs answer a survey and tell us, what are you most passionate about on these 17 SDGs in your community? And like last quarter, they chose life on land. And so we actually planted a hundred trees in our VAs. So pouring into them, showing you commit to their growth and their development. And like JCL, my very first VA, anytime she wanted to grow and develop, I got her Lean Six Sigma certified, project management certified. So a word to anybody that's going down this path, truly build a relationship, show much how you care and pour into them. And it'll, you know, the loyalty is, is endless. Yes. I have to agree with that and tell you a little quick story. One of my VAs, she is in a rural area and it's raining a lot and they shut down the power. It either gets shut down by accident or the government shuts it down. I really don't understand it. And it was really bothering her that she couldn't fulfill her tasks with me. And I was very understanding But then I went a little deeper and I asked her, what do you need? And the need was a generator. So I bought her a generator. For me, it was $200. For her, it was mind blowing. She and her whole family were so thankful. And it's a simple thing. It's not only allowing her to work for me, but it's allowing her family to do what they need to do when their power is shut down. All right. So moving on, when you were starting Outsource, did you plan at all on selling the business eventually, or are you planning to exit now? No, I mean, that's always the question a lot of times with entrepreneurs and some people, they have a business in mind. And I'm actually got a, another company that we've launched that is a separate from this, that absolutely that is the goal in three years, kind of trying to do an exit situation. But this business, no, I mean, it's a unique industry that we're in. There's not a very clear strategic acquisition partner necessarily per mm-hmm. se. We're not trying to be a Fiverr or an Upwork or a gig economy type of deal. Truly, we could scale and probably generate faster, quicker revenue if I wanted to be more just a one-off gig economy thing. But my passion being a lifetime entrepreneur growing up in small to medium business, that's where my passion is. And I see that's where the biggest need and where from a personal why standpoint, that's where I say we can move the needle in this country, in the U.S., small to medium business is the lifeblood of our economy. And when you give them access to understanding this world, and, and this is the grand irony you can kind of relate to as well, is that a lot of people see our business outsource access. Oh, you're shipping jobs overseas. You're taken away from Americans and so forth. The grand majority of everybody that we work with, it's about elevating existing people to their highest and best use mm-hmm. of time and flanking them with an outsourced resource. So you can take an $80,000 VP of marketing and flank them with a $18,000, $19,000 year VA. And it's like one plus one equals five. And ironically enough, it creates jobs in this country. We had one woman that back before we launched our operation, she heard me speak at an event. She was 32 years old, about to be in bankruptcy and was trying to launch a business on her own. And came and saw me speak and never knew that this world existed. Went back, used all this stuff to launch her company to help senior citizens find senior care facilities. And went from bankruptcy to half a million dollars in revenue 18 months later. And hired 
I think like 19 people in this country. Mm-hmm. So that's the grand irony is that it ends up actually creating job opportunities for people. So to go back to your original question, when it comes to sell, I've never been so aligned as an entrepreneur in my entire life. Teeth whitening was exciting, right? Growing a business, <laughs> but whitening people's teeth wasn't the same as changing the life of people in the Philippines and giving them a whole new life and career they never would have ever had before sometimes. And then with small to medium businesses, I mean, we're seeing people truly just during COVID help people save their companies and helping them grow and expand and even create jobs in this country they wouldn't have. So my focus, we run EOS, which you may run uh, traction in our business. And so we have our five-year, our goal is to get to, I think we're trying to get to 2,500 people in the next three years. And that's kind of my next mile mark. We'll regroup. That's a lot of people. That is a lot (laughs) of people. I was wondering if you were going for that billion dollar mark. And at this point, just that many people, I don't need to know the revenue. That's just a lot of people to manage, but good for you. What would you have done differently in starting and growing this business or any business that you have now with the knowledge that you have now? So go back to your first business, whatever mess that was, because I know most entrepreneurs start their business like a shotgun and then they're not really educated on how to run a business. Now you are. What would you change differently if you were to do a new business? Well, one thing you've learned doing EOS, right, is right people, right seats. And one of the biggest, there's actually a speaker I heard at the EO Nerve event recently, our regional event for the East Coast, mm-hmm. that said one of the most damaging periods of time for an entrepreneur is from the point that they know someone's not going to meet their expectations and the time they actually do something about it. <laughs> and I thought that was one of the most powerful statements because as entrepreneurs, I mean, it goes without saying that I will delegate, automate and delegate much faster and quicker, right? Anytime, I mean, and obviously that's the business I live and breathe and the, and the gospel I preach to people is first of all, is just get things off of my plate and get my, myself and people to their highest and best use of time as quickly as possible. But the less obvious thing sometimes is just how critical getting the right people, taking the right time. We use a tool called culture index, maybe familiar with, there's mm-hmm. one called predictive index, but we use culture index. I double down on any kind of tool that helps me get the right people in the seats from the get-go because it is so damaging by the speaker actually talked about like when he has people rate employees, he hates the number seven. When somebody gets rated as seven, that means (laughs) that like you're not good enough to be an eight and a nine. You're not quite crappy enough to be a six in terms of your performance. You're like a seven and it's like just enough to create enough mental frustration for you. And just the amount of mental anguish that goes into being frustrated with that person, thinking about being frustrated with that person. Are you going to do it? Are you not going to get rid of them and what have you? So I would think there's a lot of things I would do differently. But one of those is I really focus on getting the right people surrounding me from the get-go and using the right tools, not just a gut feel, not just a case interview, not just a couple of reference checks, but using a combination of all those and tools like Culture Index to really get to the DNA level to the extent that I can. So I get the right people in the organization. I'd love to just say to all the listeners that I think when you're starting out as an entrepreneur, you're not thinking that the biggest obstacle that you're going to face is people. And I think you and I can both agree, human beings, we're very complicated and it's very difficult to write a job description with not just what you need to do, but the outcomes what the culture is, what the culture fit is. You can interview someone, you can get great references, you can do a culture index. It still may not work out. Finding another place for them that's suitable or departing, terminating so that they can go on their way to the better fit for them. It's nerve wracking. And it is the hardest part, I think, of running a business 
much worse than figuring out sales and marketing. So the last thing I want to talk to you about is you're a keynote speaker, and I'd love to know more about that world for you and what your end goal is. Is it a big speaking fee? Is it a funnel for new business? What is your approach? Sure. And one comment I'll make on our last topic, just a tactical takeaway from everybody, is one of the biggest things is good expectations from the beginning. One of the biggest failures I made as an entrepreneur is you hire these people. If you get in the right people, right seats, just have good, clear expectations and understanding on both sides of the equation and have quarterly reviews so that those are revisited on an ongoing basis. Don't let things fester. Just like in a marriage or any other relationship, let (laughs) things fester, they blow up. So have a consistent touch base. Yeah, as far as speaking goes, I mean, you know, it's interesting, Natasha, like I didn't actually expect on being a speaker. I kind of stumbled into it. You know, my last business in the teeth whitening kind of industry, I didn't do any speaking really at all. And then I learned to do this outsourcing stuff as part of that business. When I transitioned to that being my business, actually an EO, I got asked, um, you know, there's an, I'm an EO Atlanta and EO Birmingham chapter, which is, you know, not too far from us here. They had a cancellation from a speaker and they had heard that I knew about this outsourcing stuff. So I'd been asked to like do lunch and learns with other fellow EOers just to share knowledge. Like I was happy just to share. Yeah, here's what I learned. Here's how you do it, whatever. So I, I quickly threw together some slides and drove over to Birmingham and, you know, said, hey, here's kind of what I've learned. And here's the outcome. Very case study driven, right? Which a lot of entrepreneurs appreciate. Not theory, not concepts. And tell me specific examples. And they went nuts about it. And they kept me for like an hour and a half afterwards, just asking me questions, wanting to dig deeper. They're like, man, all I read was like Tim Ferriss' four-hour workbook. That's the last reference point I had on this. And so that's what made me kind of realize that this is maybe something that people really value. And in, in the EO organization and others I ended up speaking with, with Vistage and Tab and others, like word just travels within the organizations. And before I knew it, like I just kept getting asked to bounce to here and bounce to there. So I've never had an, an agency, a speaking agency or a speaking bureau I focus my speaking to be education driven and to have people have high takeaway value that's going to change their life and their business when they walk out, not listen to me blah, blah about the latest five management bullet points they've read in the last 19 (laughs) books they've read, but truly be innovative education so that they are walking out of there with a ton of value. And so, I mean, I've had, I think like like a 9.6, 9.7 out of 10 average rating because I commit to that high takeaway value. And so it was a freight train for the last three years. You know, I got asked to do a bunch. So I found myself traveling and speaking to a ton of different organizations. And for me, I don't outwardly promote our business. I mean, in these organizations as well, yes. like you're not allowed to promote or solicit or what have you. Can't sell um, from the stage. It is truly about educating and sharing and helping people. You know, we start off with getting people's clarity on their constraint points. We have a whole workbook that we do and then share the best practices. And I go through about 30 or 40 case studies. But there's naturally people that want to know, dig deeper in what you do and about your business and kind of what have you. And so, yeah, we do have some people that become clients, um, you know, from from speaking stuff. But it's not not the main you know, objective. Unlike certain things, like when I'm doing webinars that are posted on our website and that kind of thing, like I'm a little more aggressive about an ask about what we do kind of at the end of those. But for most of all the entrepreneur and business organizations I've spoken to, it's been purely in the spirit of educating. And to be honest, part of my end goal with it too is just the relationship building. It's been phenomenal. Yeah. Like I've got a chance to speak for close to 60 plus EO chapters and hundreds of other organizations across the world and South America and Asia and Australia and what have you. And I build amazing relationships through it, right? And I'm very intentional about getting everybody to connect with me on LinkedIn. And, you know, I send them emails with kind of follow-up content and people stay in touch. And it's really cool to hear their journeys with it. I sent an email from a guy yesterday from Arizona that dropped me an email out of the blue, said, hey, man, I just want to let you know how much your talk has massively impacted my business and my outsourcing journey that he did on his own, not even through us. So I enjoy it for the relationship side. And I may do some keynotes going forward. I mean, I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old at home. So my wife Ooh. would prefer that I'm not bouncing all over the place, you know. Yes. Speaking tends to drive a lot of travel, 
but it's allowed me to build kind of a resume of speaking with a lot of experiences that I've done that at some point may look at doing some larger stage stuff and do some keynotes. I've been on the receiving end of one of your presentations and it was really good. I get your newsletter and everything that I see you put out is of great value. And thank you. Thank you for myself and thank you for all the entrepreneurs that you're helping. No, is there anything else you wanted to talk about that we might've missed? I just encourage people, just like I do when I talk about, this isn't a short-term tip or trick, right? This isn't a short-term thing that's going to go away tomorrow. This is where everything is going, right? And a lot of small to medium businesses, a muffler shop in St. Louis, like why it doesn't think that they could ever use somebody in the Philippines to do their bookkeeping, but it's where it's all shifting to. And most small to medium businesses think that outsourcing is just for Fortune 100 or Fortune 1000 you know, companies. It absolutely can be for you. And it is where everything is going. And, and I guarantee you, your competitors are heading in that space. And so it's not an option. You ultimately need to embrace this world one way or the other. Just And I encourage everybody to learn about it, engage it. I'm happy to share recordings. I have a 90-minute long webinar that I do where I do a bunch of case studies. I'm happy to share with your listeners as well to kind of just understand more about this world because they're going to cross the path with it at some point. Brad talked about how he started his business after he himself found freedom in hiring employees from outside of the U.S., what he would have done differently when starting his business, and how far he wants to take the business in headcount. It's very impressive. For more information, go to the show notes where you're listening to this podcast. Want to know more about me? Go to my website, officialnatashamiller.com. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you loved the show. If you did, please subscribe. Also, if you haven't done so yet, please leave a review where you're listening to this podcast now. I'm Natasha Miller, and you've been listening to Fascinating Entrepreneurs.